Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Uh, First, I want to say, for those of you who haven't heard, Catherine and I have a new addition to the family. Uh, His name is Dean Tackett Ritchie, and uh, Dean... Dean is Catherine's dad's middle name and his dad's middle name, and Tackett is my grandfather's middle name, so that's where the story with that, but mom and and Dean are doing good. Hopefully they're watching at home. Um, And uh, another thing, um, I've got this slide up here, Neighborhood Clifton is now about a month away, and I've gotten some forms from people, but this is the thing you're going to hear me say pretty much every Sunday until it's time. The number one thing that this congregation and every congregation can help with is we would really like to help people that actually need help. And the way that that happens is by each of you think of, you know, I, I, maybe I'll do this next week. Somebody, I intend to do this next week, but someone help me to make it happen. But I'm going to print some forms that are going to say, at the top it'll say, people who I think could maybe use some help with numbers. And I want you to write down five people that you know that could maybe use someone to trim some hedges at their house. If their trees are, are overgrown, if they've got, um, if they have anything where they need a wheelchair ramp, if they are someone that has a hard time getting to their house and they need a handrail, anything that you can think of that someone might need help with. And don't think, well, you know, this is really for the people who really, really need it. Yes, it is, but if we want to help the people who kind of need it too, okay? So we want to help those people. Please fill out a, you know, ask them, fill out a form with their consent. Uh, don't do it for them. And uh, we would love your help with that. It'll be on Sunday, April 30th. We'll do like we did last year. We'll meet in the park. There'll be a continental breakfast. We'll have community-wide worship. And then at 9, we break into our groups. And then at noon, something we're doing different this year is instead of a food truck, we are going to have a crew that is cooking burgers for everybody. So anybody that participated, anybody from the neighborhood who wants to come, will be having burgers, okay? Another thing before I start, I want to say, last week, obviously, I watched the service on our laptop in the hospital. And one of the things that I was overwhelmed by, which Tim articulated at the beginning of his sermon, but I was just overwhelmed by how much I like y'all, you know? (laughs) Just being on the live stream and seeing people walking by and chatting and all that. I just, I love this place. I really love y'all. And uh, it felt sad to be away from y'all on Sunday. We had a good reason, but I'm really thankful to be here and uh, really thankful that as I was watching online, I just kept thinking, man... Those are a great group of people. So, all right. Um, now let's go through our sermon. We've been, we've been doing a series on called Your Will Be Done on prayer. And this was a text that I knew would come. And it's a tricky text in a lot of ways. Very, it's, it's, it's great, but it's also tricky. And so I'm going to do a pretty, I don't know if this is old school. I don't know if this is new school. But we're going to read it. And then I'm going to kind of go through it pretty step by step and point out some things, and then I'll try and land on what I consider to be the most important things. So if you want to turn in your Bible to James chapter 5, we will be in a very special book uh, for some and a uh, a frustrating book for others. But uh, we're going to be reading from James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Anybody here in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone here happy? Anyone here happy? 
Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, just like you and me. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. All right, so let's, let's walk through this. And I'm gonna tr- I think I've done this, like I said, it, I wrote this about a week ago, but I've looked over it, and I think, yeah, the way it's going to work is I'm going to highlight just kind of the section we're going to talk about, and we'll do that over and over. So the beginning is this great, it's a beautiful writing by James. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? And you can just, you know somebody is. If I were to say, if I were to start my sermon and said, hey, anybody kind of have a rough night of sleep last night? I know somebody in here didn't sleep good last night, right? Uh, And it's kind of this rhetorical question. Is there anybody in trouble here? Is there anybody who's happy? Is there anyone who's sick? Then you should be communicating with God. You are, everyone in this room is somewhere. You are in trouble. You would say, if I asked you point blank and you were really confiding in me, and I said, and I said Andrew, how are you doing? And I'm, I'm not just asking, I'm really wanting to know. Whatever your answer is, James would say, you should be talking to God about it. I'm going through a tough time right now. You should pray. I'm, things are really great. I'm really happy. You should be praising. Are you sick? You should be talking to God about it. You should be doing something about it. The, the thing I think of is, I've said this before, but something that I had to learn early in my marriage is I'm the type of person who's, I'll talk to anybody about anything. And I remember Catherine would say like, hey, when you have something big happen, I want you to talk to me first. Because to me, it's a sign that you care about me the most. So when you get fired from your job, I want to be the first call. When you get a promotion, I want to be the first call. And I don't want to be like, well, I talked to, I was talking to these people about, you talk to them about that before you talk to me about it? And God, I think James is saying it's the same thing. Have you, are you having a great day? Share it with your father. Are you having a terrible day? Share it with your father. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to be the first person in any situation that he's talking with. The sign outside on the street says, Prayer should not be the last thing we do, but the first. Reaching out to God should be the very first thing we do with all of it. Now, the next thing I want to highlight is this phrase, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. I heard a preacher one time say, he's a, his name's Tony Evans in Dallas. He had a great line where he, he talked about this, and he said, the, there's that amazing story in the Gospels. It's in multiple Gospels of the friends who bring their paralyzed friend and they, they can't get to Jesus, so they have to go through the roof. You familiar with this story? And what's so cool is that Jesus, he says to them, he says, their faith has healed you. Isn't that cool to think about? How the faith of our community can be the thing that makes a difference in someone's life? He said, their faith has healed you. And so he, I never thought about that before, but one of the premises of this is James is like, if you've got something going on, bring it to your community. They're going to be praying for you. Bring it together. When we pray in class, it's not gossip hour. It's because we believe that our body can be helping us in this. Now this part, I'm, 
I'm not going to get into it as in-depth as I could. I might even have to do a whole sermon series on it. But the idea of this line right here is something that may not make a ton of sense to us. Anoint them with oil. And I uh, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. How many of you, some of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but some of you maybe have been anointed with oil before. Many of you maybe have never had that happen before. But this was a very common thing, and I'm going to try to show you the connection and why I think it's cool. The word Messiah, the word Messiah is the Hebrew word, Mishayah, for anointed one. The word Christ is the Greek word, anointed one. So whenever you see the name Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's not Mary and John, or Mary and Joseph Christ, and Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. And in the Old Testament, the people that were anointed were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. Because the anointing on the head was a symbol of God's life being poured out on this person, and that these people, prophets, priests, and kings, were intermediaries for God's people. If the king of Israel was messing up, the people of Israel were in trouble because he was the bridge. If the prophet was not doing good, the people were in trouble because he was the bridge, the intermediary. The king, the prophet, the priests, the priests would be the ones that would offer the sacrifices for the people of God, a bridge, okay? Now, Jesus came to be the ultimate and the fulfillment of the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And so we see that one of the ways we look at the anointed ones, the ones who have the anointing, is in the Old Testament, they are people who stand in the gap between heaven and earth for the people of God. And to be anointed is to have the life of God poured out on a person as they stand in the gap between heaven and earth. And what is prayer? Prayer is when we enter into the gap between heaven and earth, where we say, God, we want your will as it is in heaven to be made here on earth. We are calling for your will and your power that you have that is divine and heavenly to come and be manifest and work here on earth. And so this idea, like I said, I could do a whole sermon series on this, but to bring it back to the point, this anointing with oil, yes, it's symbolic, but what is it symbolic of? It's symbolic of the idea that we want your life to be poured out on this person and that we are trying to intercede, stand in the gap for, as the, the body, for this person to bring healing. Number, the next thing, so I, I'm not even doing numbers because I, you know, I, okay. This line, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I want to, I'm guessing you're thinking, and I understand, you're probably thinking, why is James talking about this in a section on prayer? One thing that we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that there seems to be a connection between your spiritual sinfulness and your health. Now, Jesus says in the same story with the paralytic that's brought, someone asks him, who sinned? Or no, I guess it's a blind man. The blind man in, in John 9. John 9, the blind man. They bring this blind man and the, the Pharisees want to test him. They say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man is born blind? You see what they're saying? They see a connection between physical health and your sinfulness. And Jesus says, it's not about that. It's about how this is something, an opportunity for me to show God's will. However, there are other places where we see 
that Jesus is kind of comfortable with the idea that part of our health is connected to our spiritual life. For example, when the paralytic in Mark 2 gets lowered down, the first thing Jesus says to him is, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say you're healed, but you see he's kind of making a connection there. I'll, I'll use this as an analogy, and I think you can all relate to this. I know that there are people in here who, let's say that you go through something incredibly stressful, whether it's work, family, you are stressed, as stressed as you've ever been in your life. And then like two weeks later, you get as sick as you've ever been in your life. Anybody ever experienced that? I know there's someone I'm thinking of who had some serious physical health stuff, and I remember thinking, I don't know if this caused it, but I'm sure that your stress in your life is not helping with this stomach ulcer. You know, does that make sense? It's not, it's, I don't, I don't want to say, uh, I don't want to say it's caused. I want to say there's a correlation. Causation does, correlation does not equal causation. But there is a correlation between the state of your heart and the state of your health. And so with that in mind, James says, by the way, if you're praying for healing, you also better be praying for and confessing to each other. Something we don't really do very much. You need to be coming to your brothers and sisters and saying, you know, part of my health issue might be that I'm having an affair. Part of my this or that might be that I'm embezzling funds at my job. You know, a part of this or that might be that I'm, I'm, you know, watching a television show that I say it's art, but really I'm just watching it because of, you know, I really get, a, you know, I get a lot out of seeing certain scenes in that TV show. I'm not telling you that those things are the things that are making you sick. But what I'm telling you is that James and Jesus and the Bible sees a connection with what you're putting into your heart and what is happening with your health. And so are you confessing that to each other? Not as a, you better confess because you might die and you don't want to have anything unconfessed. No, as a, your healing, your whole self-healing is predicated on not just your physical, but your spiritual. They have a correlation with each other. I want you to take a moment and just think before we go on to this section. Just think. When was the last time I asked someone to pray for me for something? I do that a lot. When was the last time you confessed some of your sins to that person in the process? For me, never. I don't think I've ever done that. And James says we should do that. Another point that I want to highlight, this is about as simple of a point as it gets in terms of understanding it or uh, hearing it, but it's not that simple in terms of how we feel it. But the point James is making here is he's saying, take Elijah, for example. Look what he could do with prayer, and he is just like you and me. He wasn't born on Krypton. He's not a superhero. And yet his prayers could do these incredible things, just like your prayers. And now I want to get to the point that I consider kind of the, you know, the biggest thing, the thing that's most important to talk about when talking about this. I'm highlighting these two verses that are on the top and the bottom of the screen. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I want to use, I would like to use a very hyperbolic example, kind of a little bit in a funny way, okay? So be prepared for this to be a jest, okay? I'm warning you. Something that was going on, is still going on, but was going on much more last weekend, which would have been much more applicable to the sermon if I had preached it last weekend, is something going on uh, in sports right now. Anybody have any guesses what a big deal right now is? March Madness. March Madness, okay? 
As I was watching a March Madness game, I had to get a quick picture of this. <laughs> this is when Furman was winning 68 to 67 against Virginia with, I think, does it say nine seconds left? No, 2.4 seconds left. And man, on the video, this woman was like, you know, she was praying. Okay? Now, obviously, we can kind of joke about this, but here's some questions that, you know, if someone reads James, if I just gave this to someone and read that verse from James and they said, so did Furman win because her prayer got answered? Does that mean that uh, because her faith was so good that her faith is the reason why they won? Or was it because she was more righteous than the fans of the Virginia team? Is it something where the Virginia team, their fans weren't as righteous or weren't as faithful? Like you should have seen. These were some faithful, fervent prayers. You know, so surely that's why this one got answered and my Virginias didn't. Or maybe the Virginia fans don't believe. You know, maybe that's why it didn't happen. Or is it, or is it that what if one of the Furman fans next to her who was praying was not a righteous, but she, her righteousness surpassed the righteousness of the fan next to her. Okay, no, wait, what, a, what about, what if the way God does it is he takes all the fans watching all over the world that are fans of Furman, and he adds up, and he adds up all the fans for Virginia, and if the total number is 85 for Furman, and it's 84 for Virginia, that's how he picks. Okay, so y'all can tell I'm making a joke, right? This is what we do a lot with Bible verses. So wait, what if somebody wants to get baptized, but on the way to the baptistry, they get hit by a car? What about then? What are we doing, folks? We're missing the point when we take passages like James, and we dissect them, and we break them into all their parts. But guess why we do that? Why do we take, I'll go back, why do we take this passage and we look at it and we go, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why do we take it and we have so much painstaking looking over it? The answer is because all of us have had times where we thought we were faithful and we thought we were righteous and our prayers didn't get answered. Right? We've all been there when we're in a classroom and someone says, how do we know prayer works? Somebody raises their hand and they said, I know prayer works to heal because I saw that my blank, my wife, my dad, my uncle was sick. We prayed and they were healed. And there's someone else in the room who says, my dad was sick too. My wife was sick too. My cousin was sick and we prayed and it didn't get well. So does that mean that I wasn't righteous enough? Does that mean I wasn't faithful enough? You see what I mean? This is why we have so much heartburn about it. And here is my attempt to say how we can reconcile. How do I, Drew Ritchie, how am I someone that say, I believe the words of James are true, even though I repeatedly don't see them get answered like I would like them to? How do I do that? Okay, are you all with me? How do we say James is the Word of God, and yet I constantly don't see it work out that way? How do we do that? Here's the first thing I want to say. James is what's called New Testament wisdom literature. Wisdom literature in the Old Testament is like Proverbs. James, over and over, is lots of wise sayings, wise things. And one thing that you constantly have to remember about wisdom literature is that it articulates wisdom that, that 
is present in our world. I'm going to give you an example. I don't know if I have it up here. Nope. Uh, nope, I don't have it up there. In Proverbs 22, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a wise proverb. How many of you know good, good, faithful parents who have kids that are not walking in the way? A lot. How many of you know really great, faithful kids who had crummy parents? A lot. But does that mean that that proverb is not true? No. It is still true. It is still full of wisdom. But that does not mean what we have to do is look at it with a magnifying glass and say, well, here's one example where it isn't. Come on, is Proverbs a lie now? And this is the same for James. We can say all day long with James 5, the prayer of a, a, a faithful person, of a righteous person, is powerful and effective. Yeah, but we can do that all we want. But nevertheless, I believe what James believes, which is that we can see how the prayers of faith have healed people. We can see that the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. I believe that. You don't have to believe that with me. I believe that. And the way that I believe that is because I have submitted to following that. There's a passage in the Old Testament. I don't know where it's from, but it's when the people of God are standing before the mountain and God is giving his testament, basically saying, like, this is the covenant. And the people say, we will do and we will understand. And lots of rabbis have pointed out the value of the order of that. They don't say, we will understand and then we will do this. They say, we will do and then we will understand. And this is maybe a similar place in James where that comes along. Another thing I want to talk about that I think is important is, for a long time, one of my favorite passages on prayer has come from Daniel. And in Daniel, there's this passage where it says that you've got his three friends. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. When he's talking about, will you bow down to me? If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I am a person that has always loved that last line because I believe my faith stands on God, even when the prayer doesn't get answered the way I want, I will stay faithful. But I have not done enough emphasizing the line right before it. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it and He will deliver us from it. We can say both those things at the same time. In order to be a person who prays, God, even if this prayer isn't answered, I'll still follow you, that does not mean you can't be a person who says, God, I know you can do this healing. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> I'll share this story. I texted my head football coach the other day because I was thinking about him with this. I texted him and said, hey, how's your daughter doing? Because back when I had first gotten out of college, his daughter, who was, I believe, around... I want to say around eight at the time, had some really terrible brain health stuff. I don't, want to, I don't think it was cancer, but basically some masses on her brain. And I remember I, when I heard about it, it was one of those things where I thought, if I really have said to my coach all along that I care about him and her hospital is like 30 minutes away, what kind of person am I if I don't go see him? So I drove to go see him. And it was really unique because it was the first time that I had interacted with him, less like a player and a coach and more as like a peer. 
And uh, by the way, his name is Dean Diatley, but that's not why he got named Dean. But when I call, I texted him, and he said to me, he called me, and I answered, and he said, man, it's amazing. I was just thinking about I needed to reach out to you. By the way, he said, hey, Richie, everyone called me Richie in high school. So it was like a breath of fresh air to hear. And he said, um, he said, you know, I was just on a walk, and I was thinking, I need to check in with Drew. It's amazing how the mind works. And I thought, that's not how the mind works. I think that's maybe a spirit of God kind of thing. And we're talking on the phone, and I asked him how his daughter was, because what I remember is I remember going to see him, and his daughter, she's still alive now. They were recently at the Mayo Clinic in, I think it's in Indiana, maybe. And uh, we were talking, and I remember when I went to go visit him, uh, something that we would say before every football game is he would yell, yes, we can, and then we would respond, yes, we will. And I know that's cheesy athletic stuff, but in our weight room it said on one side, yes, we can, on the other side it said, yes, we will. And I remember, I remember sitting there with him and him talking about, he was like, you know, I've been in hospitals before, but when you see a lot of nurses and doctors sprinting and they know, you know they're going into your daughter's room, it's a scary thing. And what I remember saying to him in that moment was I said, I said to him, you know, coach, I think God can. And he responded, I think God will. And it took everything in me not to say, but even if he doesn't, we'll still praise him. Even though that's true, Daniel still says that, even if he doesn't. But in that moment, it was a time where I needed to dwell with him more on the he can and he will. Does that make sense? James 5 is the place where James is telling us, as the people of God, we can focus all we want on the times where prayer didn't go the way we wanted. And prayer, God isn't some magical genie that says, if you're faithful enough, if you're reverent enough, then when you ask for your boat or your retirement plan or whatever, you'll get it. However, there are times where we say to ourselves, why didn't it go that way? And James is not focusing on that. What James is focusing on are we people that when we are going through sickness, through sin, through things where we need to communicate God with God, are we able to say we have a God who can heal and he will heal? And it is powerful and effective. Finally, the most faithful people I know, uh, yeah, prayer and faith, prayers and faith are powerful and effective. The most, oh, there it is right there. The most faithful people I know are people who pray fervently. There's no doubt about it. When I think about righteous, faithful people I know, they are people that pray fervently. And also they are pray, people who pray for God's will to be got, done. And so when I think about the prayers of a righteous, faithful person are often prayers that do not look like everybody else's prayers. You with me? Whenever we say, well, why didn't this prayer get answered? Why did this? One thing we constantly have to remember is when you look at the most faithful people you know and the most righteous people you know who are walking in step with Jesus Christ and following him day after day, devoted to him and his word, their prayers are often focused on God's will to be done. And so that prayer is always going to be powerful and effective and answered. If anybody would like anyone to be praying for you, if anyone has any requests, whether you are happy, whether you are in trouble, whether you are sick and you would like us to pray for you, elders are going to be standing at the doors while we stand and while we sing this song.